while we bring you uh, greetings in our Savior's name, um, when I saw a couple of hands go up at the uh, question of winter being the favorite time of year, I almost thought I needed to change the, the message today. I have a reputation at home of not being a very big fan of winter. Um, someone once said to me, well, concerning snow, he said, you know, God created the snow, you know, how can you not like that? And I just reminded him that he created weeds as well. <laughs> so anyway, it's good to be here and uh, it is winter time, but it's a beautiful winter day outside, isn't it? And uh, I would, along with Jonathan, say that I, I spend a lot of time driving at night and I have noticed the clarity of the night and the, and the, the sparkling of the stars and even the moon. Uh, up home anyway, it's been so cold, and I don't know if the cold or if it's simply a moisture atmospheric um, thing that causes it, but a couple of nights the moon has been been very uh, red, which we don't see too often uh, up our way anyway. It's good to be here. Um, I had a pretty good notion of what the phone call from Jonathan might have been about um, when he called me. It seems like sometimes our brethren, as brethren, we don't call each other unless we have a burden to put on them, which seems a little backwards. I really appreciate the service today from from uh, John's opening this morning. I appreciated his focus on the value of church family. That is a that has been for many many years a, one of my hot buttons. I I really love the uh, the thought of of church family or a spiritual family. It is a family that is eternal. It will never go away. We will spend eternity with one another as brothers and sisters, and sometimes that really should challenge us to, uh, to labor to get along a little better on this side. The message that we've chosen this morning is one that I've been... I've been... Uh, challenged with and, and pondering on some study on. A lot of my study and meditation goes on behind the wheel. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of that. And I guess as I stand here and I'm looking at a group that of people that for the most part at least has given their hearts to Jesus. We are what we consider, what we sometimes refer to as as believers or Christians or followers of Jesus Christ. And so from there, I, I just would like to, to begin this lesson this morning with the question, why do you live your life as a Christian the way you live it? Why are you living? Why are you choosing to do the things you do and to live the way you choose to live as a Christian? Is it because as an individual you have, you have chosen to accept this Holy Bible as truth? Because we do. In faith we choose to believe that this is truth. And therefore, because of that choice, you choose to live your life the way you live it. 
because of what this says? And you know in this in this Bible that we read, we know that we can read there the the promises of God, the blessings of God to those who are obedient to Him and do serve and follow Him faithfully. We read in the same scripture the the damnation and the judgment and the the judgments of God that come to those who are not obedient and follow God and follow Christ. So would you say that you live your life every day because you want to be a participant of those blessings, those good things that are promised to believers? That's a good reason to live your life as a as a faithful Christian? Or do you live your life the way you live it because you fear the wrath of God? You fear the judgments of God? You fear the, the damnation that comes to those who don't live godly and don't choose Christ as Lord and Savior? Even that, I would say, is not a bad reason to want to serve God. These reasons and maybe more are legitimate or maybe even good reasons to live godly lives, to live the way we believe God has called us and Christ, our Savior, has called us to live. I want to suggest that there might even be a reason that is better than those better in the sense that that God would would view a motivation that God would look at as one that would would bless him more than maybe any of these that we've mentioned um to begin to begin with I want to I want to read a, a couple of verses um I'll I'll just go right into them uh, so if you want to turn to them, you can. I'm probably not going to wait uh, too long. The first one is taken uh, from Matthew chapter 3. And this would be at the, I believe anyway, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Not at the beginning of his life, of course. He he was born as, a, as an infant and, and he was raised through childhood. But this, I believe, came very, very early in his ministry. It was when he was baptized, and so I, I tend to believe, you know, John the Baptist had come uh, preaching the, the way of Christ, and, and, and in this chapter, then, at, after it talks about John the Baptist, it says that, that Jesus came from Galilee. And I'll just pick up reading there at uh, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. 
and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, this there's a comment that God the Father makes of Jesus his Son. And it was that comment, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I want to now turn to a, a passage that talks about um, that 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 gives us a quote of Jesus concerning his father. God said this of his son right here. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I want to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And in this passage, at the beginning of chapter 8, it, it apparently Jesus had spent... The night he had camped out, possibly, or spent a good part of the night uh, in the Mount of Olives, and because it says in in chap in verse two of this chapter, it says early the next morning Jesus returns and goes back to the temple to teach, and it's at that time then that the Pharisees or, or the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus the woman that was taken in adultery, and and we and they went through that lesson, and so I, I wanted to get to the point that that we're at today, I'm going to jump right into the middle of this, this chapter, and I'm going to start at uh, verse 25. And I know this is just jumping into the middle, but it will get us to, to the point that I, that I, I want us to get to. Um, it says, Then said they unto him, This is a multitude, I don't believe this is necessarily just the disciples. I believe it was a, a multitude of people that had come to hear him at the temple. And, he's, and it says, Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say to judge of you, and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Now verse 29, And he, Jesus is continuing to say, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That phrase that Jesus says, he says, I do always those things that please him. That phrase has bounced around in my head for the last couple of weeks, challenging me, and it has is, actually become a, a, a time of self-examination. As I live my life every day, I go out and, and, and I load swine. I'm a pig hauler, if you will. And that's what I do every day, almost every day. But there's more to life than hauling pigs, because as has already been shared, there's a testimony that's being left in our wake. And I've been challenged by this thought that Jesus said as he taught these people. He said, I do always those things that please him. 
And that's become a question in my mind. Do I do even sometimes? Yeah, I, I really do. I believe that all of God's people, those who, who understand who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he came to, to give his life for them, and they have made that decision, I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe every one of them, in times of their life, they do things that please God. But to be able to say, I do always those things that please Him. And Jesus proved it. The final proof that Jesus did always the things that please Him took place on Calvary because we know how badly Jesus really, the, the flesh of Jesus wanted out of that situation. He begged His Father three times, but He did always those things that please Him. And He knew that it would please the Father for Him to go to that cross and, and, and take that cup, and he did. Can I say that I do always the things that please him? Because in order, being, being in these bodies that we are in, yes, uh, transformed by the Spirit of God, and yet it seems like we still deal with with flesh, we still deal a bit with this thing called human nature. And, and for, for any person, for any soul dealing with, with human nature, in order to be able to, to manifest the reality that I do always the things that please Him, it's calling for a continual life of selflessness because self wants to do what our human nature has designed us to do. And our human nature is a fallen nature. And our fallen nature is not controlled by God. And so this is a challenge uh, to me and a challenge but the, uh, to, to all of us, I, I trust. Jesus said of his Father, I always do the things that please him. So God said of his Son, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus said of his father, I do always the things that please him. Okay, well, we're dealing with the Godhead here, aren't we? You know, we're dealing with the perfect Godhead, the sinless Godhead. So that's different than us. Well, in a way, it is. But I want us to go now to the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, and read another portion here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. And before his translation, he had this testimony that what? What was the testimony of Enoch? That he pleased God. What a testimony to have. If God could reach down his finger, if God would, he could. But if God would reach down his finger after you've been buried and put in the ground and, and inscribe something on, on your headstone, could he say of you, he pleased me? What greater endorsement could we have than, than to have, as it says here, the testimony that he or she pleased God. 
And so going back to that question that I asked initially, why do you live the life you're living? Are you doing it out of fear of God's judgment? Are you doing it in, in search or in, in, in hopes of His blessings, His promises? They're not invalid or, or, or wrong or necessarily bad answers. But is it a better answer to say, I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to please God? I want to look a little bit at a character in the Old Testament. <clears throat> this individual is Balaam. And I'm going to kind of back into the story of Balaam. You children even, you know the story of Balaam. He was the guy with the talking donkey. Any of you want to, would you like to have a talking donkey? <laughs> Not if he talks like Balaam's donkey did. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want that kind of one. It would be kind of fun to have a talking donkey, but uh, you wouldn't want to be receiving, you wouldn't want the donkey to be saying to you what this donkey was saying to Balaam. The reason I want to back into, if you will, into this story or this, this little study about Balaam is because in what we want to look at, part of the story of Balaam is a story that really, you would look at the man Balaam and say, he did everything right. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. Balaam's actions in, in a good part of his story are flawless. And yet, I want to read a little bit about who Balaam really was in here before we go to that story. And so I, I just have a couple of, of passages here. This story is, is found back in, in Numbers, um, chapters 22, 3, and 4, I believe. But before we go to that part of the story of Balaam, I just want to, I want to bring us, I want to make us aware of who Balaam really was inside. In uh, Numbers chapter 31, we find when uh, Balaam was, he was killed in battle. The children of Israel went to, to battle with, uh, with the Midianites here, I believe it was. And, and Balaam was killed along with some of the evil princes and, and kings at, of the area at that time. But in the 31st chapter then in verse 16, uh, actually I'm going to back up uh, to verse I could back on up a ways, but rather than, than read it all, um, Moses had, had commanded his army to go out and slaughter this people, to, to annihilate them. And they didn't quite do that. And so in verse 15, it says, And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? And then he says in verse 16, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam 
to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So there's one indication or, or one verse that that sheds some shines some light into the life of Balaam or the heart of Balaam. Another one is found in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter two and verses. 15 and first Peter second Peter chapter 2 verse 15 and 16 which have forsaken and again here I'm jumping right in the middle actually here I'm jumping into the middle of the sentence because the sentence is about seven verses long or something but I'm going to jump in here at verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. And so here's another light that shines on the heart of Balaam. The last one is in Revelation when... Uh, when Jesus wrote his letter to the churches, I believe it was to the church at Pergamos, is where Balaam again is mentioned. And so in, in this passage of, of Revelation, it's chapter 14, or verse 14 of chapter 2. It says, he says to the church of Pergamos, he says, but I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. I am not necessarily raising these verses to, to try to stone Balaam, okay? But as we go back now into, those, into chapters 22, 3, and 4, of numbers for for quite some time I, I have to admit that this story raised questions in in my mind about God why was God doing what he did let's go back there and take a look at that numbers chapter 22 and I think I have time to to read a, a little bit of this story um, In this passage, we know that, okay, Balak is the king of, uh, of Moab at this time. And, and to kind of set the scene, the children of Israel had, had camped and pitched close to Jericho, and, and it, he was too close to, to uh, Balak and, and his people. He was too close for comfort because the number of, of the children of Israel was quite large. And Balak was feeling threatened, actually. And he was afraid that the, the Israelites were going to take over. And he, was, he, I, he feared for their numbers. I don't know if he had any fear of their God or not. That should have been his greatest fear. But anyway, he knew this, he knew this, this man, Balaam. And he knew that he had great powers as far as cursing and blessing. And so Balak 
sent his messengers and to call for Balaam and said, tell Balaam to, to, to come to me and to curse these, this, these people, these children, these Israelites. Tell him to come and curse them. The messengers, they go to, to Balaam with this message. And I want to jump in where these messengers meet up with Balaam. They come to him and they, they present Balak's uh, story to them. Um, and so Balaam says, and I'm going to pick up at verse 8. I'm in chapter 22 of Numbers. I'm going to pick up at verse 8. And he, Balaam, said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. So Balaam just recited to God what I'm sure God already knew. But he says, Balak wants me to come and curse these people. Verse 12, God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. That was good enough for Balaam. As it's recorded here anyway, there was no argument. There was no questions asked. It was a done deal. The next morning, Balaam arose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. End of Balaam's statements. The response of the princes of Moab doesn't say they said one word. They got up and went back. They rose up and went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. Verse 15, And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Now there's, there's quite a commitment by the king. And for someone who is, um, has a, an insatiable hunger or thirst for notoriety or, or power or position, that would be quite a thing to hear from the king. And I really believe that's where Balaam in his heart was. And yet, Balak's, Balaam's response is still, it's stellar. It's perfect. On the surface, it's perfect. Because these men went to Balaam, and Balaam, verse 18, I'm going to start, Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. How can you find fault with someone defending God like that? I find no fault in it. And, and so... Uh, Anyway, he says, and, and this I, I kind of feel like maybe have, was one place where Balaam maybe was a bit in error because he already had um, God's thoughts 
on this situation. But he says in verse 19, Balaam tells these men, Now therefore I pray you tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. I don't know if he thought that God would change his mind or what. And God came to Balaam at night and said, and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word that I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. God just told him right there. He says, if they ask you to go with them, go with them. So that's what Balaam did. How can you fault him for that? What's the next verse say? Verse 22. Okay, before we read that, verse, let's, let's recap this thing. God told Balaam, if they call you to go, go. So Balaam got up and went. And God's anger was kindled because he went. That's what, conf that's what has confused me for quite some time. That, that was confusing to me. And yet after thinking about it and, and knowing through some of these previous verses that we've read, knowing more the heart of, of Balaam, it's, it's easier for me now to, to maybe understand. And I even have an example, uh, a, a personal example of what may, might bring out more the reality of what was happening here. But God said, okay, go, but only speak the things that I say. And to just continue on through with this story, this, this happened. And, and, and Balaam went with these people, but he refused three times. He refused to curse the children of Israel. And in fact, he blessed them. And so even from that standpoint, Balaam's actions were, were stellar. They were perfect. We'll jump over here to the 24th chapter and verse 10. This is after... After the third time that, that Balaam had refused to curse the children of Israel. And in verse 10 it says, And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. And so he was, he was wroth with, with, uh, Balaam, and, and it says in the last verse of this chapter 24, it says, And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went away. They parted ways without ever, with Balak not ever really getting what he was after. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, I, I read this, I read these three chapters, and I wonder, how, how can you find fault with what Balaam did? And at the same time, I, I've been able to, my heart has wanted to question God. God, what? why did you get angry at Balaam right after you told him to go? I don't know that I have a clear understanding of what is happening here. But I've been challenged in the thought of, in fact, we touched a little bit on it in, uh, in our 
lesson, Sunday school lesson this morning about how uh, was it God's was it God's original plan, you know, for multiple wives and this and that. And and I it, it took my mind back a good many years ago when I had a, a discussion with a with a friend concerning what he was kind of on he was kind of on this this thing that he had heard about about God's perfect will and God's permissive will and those are terms you know I don't want to get all into that but those are terms that I've never come to grip with I've my my view of God's will is that it is perfect always God's will is perfect and and yet to to address the other side of that I believe that there is a a permiss- God has a permissiveness. There are things that God will allow. God will permit that. God permits horrible things to happen. And yet, I know it's not His will. And to even say that it's His permissive will, I can't bring myself to say that anything evil is God's will of any kind. It's simply His permissiveness. But just take that for what it's worth as we look at this. You see, Balaam. Balaam came to God, or God came to Balaam and said in chapter 22, the first time, God said, do not go. He said, "Thou," in verse 12, thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. I believe that right then, Balaam, knew the will of God. Regardless of anything else, Balaam knew the will of God. And for God later to say, if they ask you to go, you can go. I really wonder if what would have blessed God is if when those men ask him the second time to go, if Balaam wouldn't have known in his spirit, you know, I know what the will of God is. But God told him he could go, and so he did. When I was a little boy, I went to the public school. And the school that I went to, uh, I guess it, was rated okay for academics, but my impression of that school when I was going to school was that the most important thing at the in the Adel School District was that was the the sports sector of it. I got the feeling that you know if you weren't out for sports, you really weren't much. There was a lot of focus put on sports, and every year the wrestling coach and the football coach would come to my brother and I and me and try to get us to go out for football, try to get us to on the wrestling team. And of course, you know, I was a young farm kid, you know, and I wanted to. I really wanted to. I didn't have any. And so every year we'd go back to Dad and say, Dad, you know, can, you know, can we go out for football this year or wrestling this year and it was just one of my parents standards that they didn't think that organized sports was the place 
for their children. And so for a couple of years, it was pretty easy for daddy just said, no, we're not, we're not going to start that. And that was enough. That was, was what I had to accept, like it or not. You know, as we got a little older, I remember the last year that I ever asked my dad. <clears throat> he still said no, but I could tell he, he hesitated, he struggled, he wrestled with that. He didn't, he didn't want to tell us no. But it was pretty obvious that he really didn't want us to. And I read this story and I see I see how God um, God put Balaam kind of in a similar position. He told him he could go. I'm glad my dad didn't say, yeah, go ahead and go. Because if he would have, I would have went. I would have done just what Balaam did and went. Even knowing that even though my father would have said, I guess you can go. I would have known in here that what would have really pleased my father would have been if I would have recognized his heart, his greatest desire and said, no, I'm not going to go. I don't know if that's similar to what happened here with Balaam. Even though God told him to go, if Balaam would have really wanted to please God, he would have said, no. No, God, you told me I can go, but you told me first that I can't. A challenge, I guess, for you children and young people. I don't know where your parents, what standards your parents have set in your homes for you. More than likely, they have some standards that are a little higher than, than where you want to stop. I'm suspecting that occasionally there's some things that you would like to do that your parents say, no, I'd rather you didn't. I want this story uh, to challenge you. That even if one day through your um, earnest asking, Dad, Mom, it's only this, just... Can we do that? And if one day you know that in the past they have, they have discouraged, they've wrestled with that. If you know that in their heart they really would prefer, but one day they don't want it. They, they don't want to upset you. They want to make you happy, but still in their hearts, they know that what's best for you is where they've set the bar. I just want to challenge you to think about that. And if they finally say, I guess, go ahead. Let this story challenge you with the thought that, well, they said I can go. What's wrong with going? But if you know in your heart that it would please your, your father to just say no. May that challenge you. So I don't know, I just, as I read through this, this passage here in these three chapters, if I only read that, it's just, it's really, really hard for me uh, to, to condemn 
uh, Balaam. And yet I believe the scripture bears out the fact that he, he did have a bit of a devious heart. He had a heart that was more focused on his his own advancement, his own agenda, his own um, selfishness, uh, as he apparently, some of his uh, work in, in and among the people was was not godly. I want to close by taking us back just in thought. We're not going to turn back there, but to Enoch. You know, Enoch was one of, what, two that never tasted physical death. What's How many people have been born into this world since the beginning of time? He's a rare individual, isn't he? And, and, you know, that isn't, more than likely, is not going to be our lot. You know, it's appointed unto us to die. But we can carry the same testimony. We can leave the same testimony that Enoch did. Will it be said of you that you had the testimony that you pleased God? Why do you do the things that you do? Let's have a song.